Hello and welcome to BakaCast for the week of March 2nd, 2018. I'm your host Dustin and with me today is Larry. Really? Hey, and it's sun shining. It's amazing. Ben. You. And Aaron. Uh, and uh, unfortunately this, this time uh, Emily will not be with us uh, because her work schedule changed recently. Um, and it was a little too soon to the podcast recording time for us to uh, really reschedule properly with everyone. Uh, so we will hopefully make the schedule work out for next recording, and we'll just catch up with four episodes of Card Capture Sakura. Because why not? Uh, <laughs> Sounds anyway, good to me. So as always, you can find show notes at www.projectre.net or at www. Uh, audioentropy.com and we will instead begin with Fate Extra Last Encore Episode 4 where we meet Robin Hood uh, who does not play fair. It'd be fine. Uh, I appreciate uh, I'm sort of skipping a little bit ahead but I appreciate how when Nero gets hit right in the boob with an arrow which you know must be fairly painful uh she she basically she basically goes like oh yeah I meant to do that. <laughs> Where, no, it's fine. I chose not to block it because it's a weak attack. Yeah, your your attack did not was not worthy of me blocking it with my sword. So I just used my boob. I totally meant to do that. You're you're an asshole. <laughs> it's like sure, Nero. You're you're not fooling anyone. Also, Dustin, I have album art for this one. Oh, oh boy. I can't wait to see what this is. Uh, as much as I thought that outfit was hilarious, I'm, I'm not going to do that as album She's art. She's covered. Yeah. That's, that's pushing everything. some boundaries. Yeah. And leaves. Yeah, so for context, um, there is a scene lose, early on in the episode where they're just hanging out wait, oh, wait yes. hold on dustin you, and you cut out completely there there's just a scene hanging out where they're hanging out in the sort of elevator pod as they're moving up to the next strata where nero gets out of the bath and is like i'm gonna check up on my maestro and like she doesn't bother putting clothes on she just has like a ribbon basically <laughs> like a giant ribbon wrapped around <laughs> Even saying wrapped around is exaggerating what is happening. It's, it's sort of like rope. loosely Fine. draped. A woman with a smile on her face. To cover thing. just the Isn't naughty it? bits. And even then, like, the ribbon is clearly you know supposed to be translucent. Like, almost transparent. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, he, and the artists out. are very much fudging oh, Dust, the transparency Dustin. levels. Dustin. Yes. Dang you're like cutting out entire sections of what you're saying okay well i can't really help that i mean, he's recording what he's saying so it won't be on the recording cutout it's just we're gonna have to like, get out our I crystal can't really balls fix that and, problem and guess what he said uh, my recording is still getting it yeah is so... it still recording on your end oh yeah can you still hear me yeah. oh this will be fine right. oh all right how about now uh, oh, we won't know until it does it again. How about, okay. Well, let's just hope it remains stable. Uh, 
<laughs> yeah, so as I was saying, like, the artists are clearly uh, fudging some of the transparency there to actually make it safe for, well, barely safe for TV. It's fine. <laughs> it's also very uh, Nero. It's extremely Nero, <laughs> uh, which is why I'm fine with it, <laughs> because it 100% fits her character. Um, Good. Then post it. We're good. We're done. Back to the reviews. I, man, no. <laughs> so way. what you're saying is that we can use it, right? No, <laughs> I'm not using that as Alamar. Not gonna happen. Oh, <laughs> uh, you're no fun. Like the the one Kjo one where everybody's like, uh, like mostly Please clothed. Touch our butts but, again. Yeah that that is the sort of limit at which I'm willing to go. And even then, I questioned it, but, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, the, the scenes with um, Nero... Nero and Maestro actually had uh, a lot of good interactions in the first part of this episode, especially in uh, sort of near the middle, I would say, when they are... Uh, when they sort of jump down from the tower because they're getting sniped uh, and they head into the forest and at first they don't run into Robin Hood. He's sort of like catching up to him. Uh, and Nero is talking to him and being like, you know, Ad admire the beauty around you. Uh, you know, don't take things for granted. And then, oh man, I really need to get the actual... Should have thought ahead and brought that scene up for myself because Nero actually has a very good quote uh, where she says um, something like, that's how I lived, or should I say how I wished I had lived. Um, and it's a surprisingly revealing look at, you know, Nero's <clears throat> character who sort of acts as... Uh, acts like this very carefree person, and sort of very briefly drops the veil a bit to reveal that there is, you know, maybe a little more to her backstory than that. It's a it's a character building moment that I really appreciate. Yeah, well, yeah, the uh, <clears throat> the historical Nero uh, didn't really have a happy life. Yeah, no, uh, like, to be fair, the historical Nero was also not a particularly nice person, even if it's likely that history, uh, exaggerated how bad he was, um, so anime Nero I mean, that, that's, that's par for is, the course with fate. Yeah, yeah, anime Nero is very, is a, a much more, uh... A much more heroic person in the Fate universe, let's say. But yeah, that's that's not at all unusual for Fate. Uh, they very often um, make people who were, if not outright villains, certainly complicated figures. Uh, you know, a little a little easier to be fans of. Yeah, there was just because that's how the franchise works. There was a there was a uh, there was a manga called uh, uh, let's see uh, Kento Ankokuden Cestus, uh, which is 
which is ba- basically about this uh, like gladiator slave boxer uh, in the during Nero's time, and Nero is a significant character, and he's sort of presented as you know like really screwed up, but for understandable reasons, which is that his mom like totally had him under her thumb and just like bullied him mercilessly. And, you know, was constantly, you know, using him for her schemes. And, you know, and it, I would, being flat out abusive. Yeah, I would say for uh, a pretty decent rundown of what Nero was, you know, most probably like, or at least our best approximation of what Nero probably was like, I would recommend listening to um, the History of Rome podcast. Uh, their episodes, um, uh, Mike Duncan's episodes on Nero. Um, because while Nero was certainly not a particularly good emperor, uh, also there is some exaggeration that was done, uh, particularly with the famous, you know, fiddling while Rome burns, uh, was almost certainly not what actually happened. Well, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. because, because the thing about that, the thing about that is a lot of the histories of Rome were written by people who had, uh, particular agendas and biases. Yeah, and if there's one thing we know about Roman history, it's there. It's that a lot of Roman emperors were disposed by people who did not like them, uh, and were violently murdered. So, what's, what's the phrase? History is written by the victors. Yeah. So, you know, uh, but yeah. So in, in fate, we definitely have a much more likable version of what Nero uh, is like. Um. But yeah, anyway, enough about actual history. Uh, let's talk about flame swords, I guess, and uh, magical witches. <laughs> so Yay, Ronnie. So I actually am completely unfamiliar with this character. She's in the games. Oh, she is? Okay. I probably mm-hmm. either didn't make it that far or I just completely forgot her. Well, uh, it ends up being sort of uh you end up choosing either Rin or Rainy to sort of follow. Oh okay. So you might have gone down nice. the Rin path. Oh uh, probably, yeah. That would make sense. Who would not uh, choose who would not choose Rin? Seriously. But this Rin isn't the Rin. I mean yeah, Rin. Rin is very good. But also from what I'm seeing here, Rani is also, you know, Pretty okay. Yeah, she in this episode she's uh, in this episode she's pretty she's a pretty interesting character. Yeah, she's much more emotionless in the game. I think my connection just died <laughs> again. Um, yeah, and then I, there's the final the the reveal near the end of the episode that not only has it been some time, it's been a thousand years. Since the since the uh, the first one, yeah. So i i like the I like the reveal that it's now like the year three thousand. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's like I was I was expecting some time to pass, but not that much. Yeah, it's it's almost it reminds me a lot of the reveal in the original Nier. Oh yeah. Where like the the game basically starts, you know, roughly around 
like sort of late year 2000s um and then the next time like basically after the pro prologue it's like now the year 25,000 yeah (laughs) um but yeah i i like it because it sort of reveals just how it, it it reveals like the stakes in a very concrete fashion of like yeah so the 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 ultimate fate of seraph is like if seraph fails then humanity is basically wiped out <laughs> it also gives the main character sort of a reason to chase the grail because if you can get the grail then there's a possibility you can save save humanity yes it's 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 real inter- interesting the <clears throat> comparisons and the links uh, to both the original game and uh, some of uh, Extello's game as well. Yeah. Uh, in fact, <laughs> if you want to see how complicated this kind of gets, goes to uh, Random Curiosity's page and the discussion page for uh, episode four. Oh, Scroll Lord. down to the first comment and then follow that. Don't read it. Just un- unhide the spoilers. And and kind of just look at that. Uh, so just unhide the spoiler. So don't read the spoiler, but you're you're not. Just see, I mean, you can read it, but you're not going to understand it. But to see how big the paragraph is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And how complicated sure, it is. Which reminds me, I need to read. I need to play Extella. I have it. All right. Oh right. Yeah. I need to install it then. <laughs> right no, I think. System. Do I have a physical? Co- I can't remember. Oh, you pro- you probably don't own a digital one. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. Anyway, uh, but yeah, yeah. So just just follow that if you want to have a general idea of the insanity that this is trying to fit into the rest of Fate Extra, Fate Extra CCC, Fate Extella, and even yeah, see, Grand that's a- Order is in there. It- Wait, what? <laughs> yeah. See, see, that's the thing. That's the interesting thing about Fate, because, like, if you just look at, you know, Fate Zero, Fate Stay Night, uh, that sort of stuff, um, even if you, like, incorporate the different paths of Fate Stay Night, you know, that's all fairly understandable, not too complicated. When you get into, like, the future shit... <laughs> yeah. yeah the... That's where it gets real nuts. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, Fate Zero and Fate Stay Night are pretty simple and, and easy to understand. The like you said, the future stuff, especially when you start calling in the uh the arc liners and the uh types, the ultimate and weapons. Chaldea. Yeah, yeah. It 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 just you have grain and ether and yeah, yeah, it just it gets kinda crazy. Also, I do really like the aesthetics of the grave scene, uh, where it's it's a very, despite being somber, it's like a very sort of colorful and bright area, uh, where you've got a bunch of, I'm not sure if they're just fancy fireflies, or if they're supposed to be like magic particles that just happen to float around this grave, uh, but you've got a bunch of like confetti lights shining Mm-hmm. around the gravestones and it creates a a both a colorful and kind of somber effect that i really like also we get Raimi dolls oh yeah those are i like how she goes oh yeah these these dolls you know help me 
you know, help me out here. Do you find them disturbing? And then she just, like, gets rid of them. It's like, oh, 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 right. That's that's kind of freaky to people. It's important to get rid of them. Yeah, I mean, like, to be fair, if, if we're thinking about this from, like, a real-world perspective, like, if you tapped a few buttons on your keyboard, on, on, like, your tablet, and suddenly tiny chibi versions of Aaron started running around, that'd be pretty bizarre. That just reminds me of those great scenes from, uh, uh, the blue, the blue thing. Uh, oh, arpeggio, arpeggio blue steel. Yeah, yeah, where she would split herself up into. Yeah, multiple, yeah, and the ones with tasks. um with Takao. Yeah, it's real good. Uh, also, because this is a Shaft production, we get uh people monologuing and pointing at shiny things in the background. Yeah, yeah, uh, and also with like the Gendo glasses effect. Yeah. It's it's pretty great. Where like the face is darkened, but the glasses are just shining like beacons for some reason. <laughs> but yeah, I I really enjoyed this episode of Fate Extra. Um, it's had a lot of like it did a lot toward advancing the plot as well as having a lot of good character moments for Nero and the Master. Um, and also just uh, revealed a lot of cool stuff about the cosmology. So, I, I also really like near the end where Nero's like, hey, where the hell did Rin go anyway? Yo, yeah. It's a good question. Yeah, because they were bathing together, and then, you know, that's pretty much the last time Rin appears in this episode. <laughs> Rin does whatever Rin wants to. Yeah, I also that reminds me of like also at the beginning of the episode uh, when Nero is bathing, bathing with Rin, she is all like, "Hey, Master, wanna wanna you know bathe as well?" And he's like, "What? No, no." It'll be fine. Um, but yeah. Anyway, I'm gonna give this episode a five. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna give it a four. I thought it was. I thought it was a good episode. All right, so let's go ahead and move on to Ancient Magus's Bride, episodes nineteen through twenty, where we tackle dragon slavery, basically. Yep. Hey, yeah. <clears throat> Oh man, so they're getting she, real close. She she say decided she was going to save a dragon. Uh, real close. Uh, well, I guess if I ask real close to what, you won't actually be uh, able to say. No, no, anything. no, no. Real close to where the manga is. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, which is yeah. So they'll probably have to go on hiatus soon. Yeah. Well, no. Like it's out to twenty-two episodes think or 24 uh it's it's yeah. at 20 now the most recent one was 20 yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. but so, i'm saying so basically uh, by the by the time they get to episode 24 they're they're gonna be completely caught up to the manga uh which means that which means that uh they have they're gonna have to wait a while to continue the story yeah they're they're gonna have to do something because there's no way that they can spread out four episodes with what's left 
hopefully no words anime original do not come into view here <laughs> i'm curious as to why they did that though but yeah so like episode 19 um the start of it at least the the big thing that happens at the start is that you know in a dream chise meets like that super evil sorcerer child sorcerer basically I can't remember his name. Char- no. Well, he likes yeah. to call him. He 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 likes to call himself Joseph, but yes. uh, yeah, it's... oh, Cartophilus, Cartophilus, yeah. whatever. Yeah. But yeah, he apparently in the dream does not recognize. He does not remember who he is. Um, so there is something going on with him, at least in the dream scenario, because he seems to have. Because like near the end when the dragon like gets corrupted and escapes and goes rage mode uh he seems to recognize what's happening and like what his whole modus operandi is uh but while he's talking to chise he is a pretty different person um but yeah and then like out of the dream basically all like all the all the other sorcerers have a like basically a lodge essentially where they all meet up and discuss the issue with the dragons and sort of what to do about them uh, and uh, uh, and uh, why can't I remember the main character's name now the main Elias. sorcerer guy Elias, Elias. Yes. Uh, Elias is initially hesitant to actually help the dragons um, but she says like no that's that's we're not gonna just stand by and let that happen. The dragons, you know, helped me. They were a big part of uh, my growth, and you know, I don't want to see one enslaved. So I'm just gonna help. We're gonna help them out, and that's that. And Elias is like, "Well, all right, fine." Well, and Lindell is stuck in Dragonland. He or he would have gone and rescued the dragon himself. Yeah. So understanding all that yeah and then there's a a pretty good moment which I believe Aaron actually you mentioned during one of the earlier episodes uh, where um, Chise basically uh, finally gets paid for the sale of herself yeah oh by the way this is your cut yeah and then she uses that uh, that cut to bid for the dragon, uh, though she doesn't end up having to use it because the auction does not go as planned. Yeah. No. <clears throat> yeah, it's like, all right, sold for 3.9 million. Uh, or like, uh, sorry, it was like 2.9 million or something. Yeah, it was 2.9 million. Yeah. Yeah, the only problem is, is the uh, quarry broke loose. <laughs> Whoops. Yeah, and then the dragon erupted in a giant, like, uh, ooze tumor and became, like, a monster hunter dragon. He got better. Yeah, he got better. Yeah, at the price of Chise having a really messed up left arm. Oh, yeah, uh, and, and, a, and a curse. Yeah, yeah, so basically, like, in, in episode 20, Chise manages to get onto the dragon, the dragon escapes with her and um, Elias and uh, Roots 
uh, and Ruth on Roots. its back. It's, it, roots, yeah. It's pronounced um, Roots. Okay, well, sometimes I'm going to say the translation, so get off my goddamn back. Ooh! Uh, okay. So, Elias, Elias, get, Elias gets a face full of fire in what is maybe one of the funniest ways that Elias has ever been dunked on. Uh, and then Roots uh, gets commanded to go, you know, save him. Uh, and so while they're gone, she says, it's like, well, I'm just going to absorb this dragon's magic and hope it doesn't murder me. <laughs> Surprise. Yeah, so it doesn't, but also it super messes Chisei up. Yeah. Yeah, so, like, there wasn't a whole lot of, uh, in, in terms of, like, character moments, there wasn't a whole lot of, like, actual, like, character building. This was much more of a, <clears throat> like, plot-focused episode where just a lot of stuff happened and there was a lot of escalation in terms of uh, the villains like plans well well yeah I think the character the character moments came in the aftermath you know in which you know it w which they basically they have to engage with like uh, Chise's uh, excessively self-sacrificing character yeah I like how when the uh, the lady try the lady tries to like examine what's going on with her weird ass hand. She's like, "Oh, this is a dragon's curse." Hey, you want to be a witch? You can join my coven. <laughs> <laughs> and Elias is like, "All right, cut. All right, cut out the sales pitch here. <laughs> That's enough of you." <laughs> and how does that episode end? <laughs> Yeah, gotta watch Chisei and her wishes here. Yeah, let's go join the coven. Yeah, that sounds like a great idea. I want to be rid of this hand. Well, I think the hand... The, the hand... Like, the hand by itself is not the problem. The problem... The problem is the, uh, is the dragon curse that is uh, killing her. Yeah. And this would not be the first time in recent history that she's wound up in this position. Something trying yeah, to kill her. Yeah, with a curse her. that is trying to kill her, yes. It's like uh, curses foiled again. Uh, yeah, Chisei has a problem with getting enchanted in highly dangerous ways. Yeah, which goes, which goes back to like how this show depicts magic, which I really... And that it's kind of, and that it's both like whimsical and great, and also highly capricious. Yeah, and dangerous as hell. Yeah, yeah, that too. Okay, there's six chapters that they haven't covered yet. So okay, they, so the twenty episodes have covered thirty-seven chapters. Eight eight volumes, thirty-seven chapters. That's a pretty solid pace. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so right. They, along. they might be okay, maybe. All I'm gonna say is that uh, crap gets real. Yeah. Yes. So I think I, I did like what these episodes set up. So I will definitely give them fives. 
Also, I just liked seeing all the sorcerers interact with each other. Yeah, welcome to the Sorcerer's Union. We'll take dudes at the door. Yeah, it, it reminded me of a lot of the best parts of the Witcher franchise when uh, all the sorceresses would get together and sort of like have their own agendas. Um, but yeah, uh, I will guess it's time to move on to Violet Evergarden, episodes six through eight. <clears throat> By the way, I gave them both fours. Okay, awesome. Blasphemy. <laughs> I felt sorry for that dragon. He got better. <laughs> All right, so... Uh, Violet, uh, these these episodes definitely had a theme, uh, sort of like a through line to them, which was a Violet having a profound effect on every male she comes into contact with, apparently. Because <laughs> episode six, it's like, uh, you know, she, she teams up, uh, like a, a bunch of auto-memory dolls, uh, go to this, uh, basically like a, a an academy of yeah, sorts uh, astronomies yeah. yeah yeah and they team up with a bunch of scholars to um rewrite uh, the books copy copy the texts to basically like uh keep them around a little longer um and she teams up with this kind of socially awkward guy uh, who, of course, <clears throat> inevitably ends up falling madly in love with her. Uh, and in episode seven, it is a uh, the like the dude she meets is a father who uh, lost his da daughter due to some unnamed sickness, and basically he sees uh, his dead child in her. Uh, and then episode eight is about her relationship with uh, Gilbert, I believe it is. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, major. Yeah. So all these episodes are about how uh, men get extremely emotional around Violet Evergarden. Well, the last one was a lot of her backstory, <laughs> too. Yeah. Which uh, she does have quite the interesting backstory, I have to admit. Uh, or I should say quite the violent backstory. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite parts, sort of going back, one of my favorite parts about episode six is the way that Violet shuts down the people who are kind of like trash talking her partner behind her back. Uh, behind his back, I should say. Uh, where they're like, oh, you know, he's, he's a loser and all this stuff. And Yeah, uh, yeah and he doesn't have his father. It's like, like, yeah, and she's I, like, I'm an orphan. Yeah, I do not have a father either. Yeah. And and they're like, well, you don't have to stand up for him. And she's like, I am just stating the truth. Yeah, so what's your point? One of the, one of the few times where Violet's uh, complete lack of any sort of subtlety or guile uh, actually is highly effective. Well, actually, that... Actually, uh, her lack of... Her lack of guile... Uh, has actually been effective on many occasions because uh, because because it because what it does is it it sort of it helps it gets around the barriers that people put up. 
I would say in later episodes it has. Um, I would argue that in earlier episodes, you know, even though it cuts through um, some of the euphemisms and uh, sort of like um, hedging around certain issues, like there are reasons why people do that and often good reasons. And um, she, at least at the beginning of the series, like her bluntness was absolutely a liability and like did legitimately hurt people. (laughs) Um, But as we get further on, she is more able to balance that out and sort of, read people's emotions for when she should not be so blunt or at the very least when she just shouldn't be as blunt um but yeah i i sort of uh i sort of like tongue-in-cheek uh describe these episodes as being all about men falling for violet uh but i i certainly think that six is like a legitimately um like good and charming episode. Actually, episode seven uh, brought the feels for me. Anyway, uh, I have seen far too many like plot lines where it is like uh, the tortured man who lost the woman uh, uh, that he cared for, whether that be you know wife or daughter and now is sublimating those emotions onto another woman who happens to look like them but otherwise shares none of their traits uh i guess it just i'm kind of over that plot line for the most part um i think even if you're over you can still agree that it was well done uh, i mean for that sort of plot line yes uh, but also, my issue with those plot lines is that um, it objectifies the female character in a different way. Like, it, it doesn't sort of... It's, like, not a sexual objectification in the way we typically think of objectification, uh, but more turns them into a um, object where the, the male in question applies you know, their projects their own grief onto that person and the personality of the person they care about onto that uh, woman, um, regardless of what their personality is actually like. Uh, and while it's not as egregious as other plot lines I've seen that have done that, uh, um, it did rub me a bit, the lo- it did rub me the wrong way a little bit. Um, I... I really have to disagree. I, no, I don't I, think that at all. I thought, uh, yeah, I thought the plot, I thought, like, yeah, I, I see, like, the pattern, I, I recognize the pattern that uh, Episode 7 fell into, but I thought it was well executed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was, I, I, I think it wasn't as, I, I would be a lot less kind to it if um, I ended up being kind of okay with it simply because um, Violet had a little more autonomy than I typically find in these plot lines uh, particularly where she insists that 
this story have a happy ending. Um, but also I've seen way, I don't know, like it, it's still, I'm still so sick of the tortured, uh, artist who just needs a woman to be his muse to get over his internal grief. Like, um, yeah, I, I did not particularly care for episode seven and I understand, uh, if that's just like a weird bugaboo I have about that particular plot line, but yeah, no, like it was done better than I'm used to ex- used to seeing from those plot lines, but I still don't particularly care for them. Uh, so I, 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 I appreciate episode six a lot more because the the rela- the relationship there was built on how the male lead felt about Violet herself um, and was not projecting some other person onto her. Uh, And like they, it it was a much more equal relationship there where they played very well off each other and appreciated each other's uh, personalities and experiences and sort of like they both had moments of kind of emotional catharsis even though a violet probably doesn't understand what emotional catharsis is yet <laughs> oh i think she's working towards it in a big hurry here oh yeah certainly well but, yeah because uh, yeah in in episode six she you know she sort of she's able to yeah well she's able to put it you know give a name to the loneliness that she felt that she feels in the uh you know you know, in the absence of her major. Yeah. And, then, and I kind of do hope they meet each other again, which is a which is not something I had expected, I would say, at the start of the episode where I saw sort of where the plot was going. Uh, yeah. I, I still really wish, like, the, the end twist is that she actually is a robot in the end. And no. then, that would be like, pretty funny. Like, the final... No, no, no. Like, the final scene... Is her watching the comet again? Oh, that would be pretty good. Meaning that she's been there for two hundred years. Yeah, that would be pretty good. Yeah, except uh, episode eight kind of uh, uh, debunks episode... that a little. Yes, yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, episode eight she could debunks be a lot some of mechanical or or mostly biological look man don't shatter my hopes yeah episode eight is actually where i was like wait did i just completely misread what violet is supposed to be is she actually just like a normal person who got a like extremely fancy prosthetic uh, <laughs> yes pretty yeah, much well, so yeah she is yeah, it because, seems that way right because right yeah because episode eight well at the end of episode seven like the whole issue with you know the death of the major, you know, the major being dead, comes to a head, and yeah, where she learns the truth, and she's like, for good reason, very mad about it. Well, she's in disbelief about it. Yeah. Well, wait a minute. No, but she's on the nobody. Oh, then he's fine. Yeah. Well, it's the first stage of grief, as we all know. Yes. Um. Right, but yeah, I I really liked episode eight. It was definitely easily my favorite of these three. 
Something I'm wondering, because, uh, like, in the first episode, um, the, oh, I can't remember what his name is, the other guy that's employing her now. Yeah, the the red-haired guy. Yeah, um, he says that, uh... Hodgins he, is his name. Yeah, that oh, he, right. he protected her from a, a shell, an artillery shell. Well, the only artillery going on is under his command. So I wonder if part of him taking care of her is that he feels guilty. Oh, for, for like, like accidentally hurting her. It's called uh, well, yeah, it's called it, live fire or uh, friendly fire. Yeah, exactly. That could certainly be it. Um, yeah, I, I like the sort of like callback to that in episode eight, where he's like, "Yeah, so after this, I'm planning on starting up my own company." <laughs> and I'd hire you in a heartbeat. Yeah. Yeah, 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 this racket and being being a small business owner. Yeah, you and your girlfriend. Or, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I there were a lot of really solid scenes in episode eight. Um, in particular, uh, the one that uh, had the most emotional resonance um, is where she picks up the brooch for the first time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he goes, that so, one was, yeah," and he's like, "Well, wait a minute." Uh, don't you want the blue one? They match your eyes? No, I want this one because they match your eyes full. Oops. Yes. Yeah, she likes she likes the green color better. Um, I also just really like the way that she moves when she's murdering people. It's, it's, when I say it like that, I sound like a psychopath. But um, it's like it's animated very elegantly compared to the rest of how everybody else in the platoon moves, uh, including uh, Gilbert. Yeah, it, it, so it sort of it sort of gets to the question. It's like, why are they bringing a little kid onto a battlefield? And it turns out it's that she just has like this natural talent for murdering people. Yeah, she's just very good at slicing people's throats. Turns out, natural born killeress. Um. Also, something else that I forgot about. If the military was just going to basically get rid of her, or rather hoping she dies in combat, why would they uh, put her up in, like, that hospital and give her mechanical hands? Um, are you, are you talking about, like, after her accident? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's, uh, well Hodgins is rich. That's why. Yeah, I guess well, maybe because Hodgins say... either intervened or they couldn't really cover... They couldn't really ac- accidentally kill her easily and cover it up. I don't know. I mean, they, they say that he comes from a rich family, but in one of the previous episodes, they're talking about how the business isn't doing well. Well, it's the time... I mean, well, I mean, you can... You can have like failing businesses and still be very rich. I mean, that's whole. That's Trump's whole deal. Well, the, the uh, I think what the thing is is that uh, it's a time where yes, it's my business and it's away from the family. And yes, I'm not doing well, but I'm not going back to daddy for money. Because I think. That opinion and 25 cents would get you a cup of coffee in some restaurants. <laughs> so, yeah. 
That's my kind of sort Yeah, because he, he complains in episode three that he's not getting paid this month. Oh, okay. Yeah, and Violet catches on to it rather quickly. It's like, well, uh, 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 you know, and he's like, just don't worry about it. Well, yeah, and then the end reveal at episode three is that he spent his money on buying the brooch back. Right. Yeah. Uh, also, one of the scenes I really like from episode eight is where the sort of lead platoons are storming the fortress, uh, and they breach into the that really large, that sort of large circular pavilion, I guess, uh, and then suddenly a bunch of enemy soldiers reveal themselves on the surrounding walls and just massacre basically everybody in the platoon and it shot very well um because the, the timing's kind of perfect because you're like you're like in there and looking around and you're like okay this seems suspicious and then they immediately pop up and just fire Vavoom. yeah and so like you have you have just enough not time to mentally react like oh crap before the killing starts happening uh, so it's just a very well-timed sequence of events in terms of provoking, you know, the correct uh, and, mental reaction from the events on screen. And luckily, Violet manages to rescue the Major until the two guys come sneaking down the hall and shoot him in the back. Yeah, yeah. I, shoot I, him I through don't... the eye. I actually shot him through the eye. Yeah, I don't mention it. Uh, I feel like I haven't mentioned it a whole lot, but I do really like the cinematography in Violet Evergarden. Um, the shots are com like sure, it's it's like a beautiful anime, but also the shots are composed very well. Yeah, well, yeah, because the thing about the thing about Kyoto Animation is they don't just do animation well; they do direction well. Yeah. So I I was a big fan of this episode. Uh, I will probably give episodes six and eight both fives. Uh, episode seven a three. Uh, I'm going to give episode six a four and episode seven and eight fives. Mm -hmm. uh, five, four, five. All right. So let's move on to Kokoku, episodes 7 and 8, uh, where I guess we finally have an escalation in the plot, um, or at the very least, it's not just about the people running around doing stuff. Uh, um, like, we have, a, we have an interesting complication with the main villain kind of becoming a pseudo herald and uh i think drop i think like dropping a drop of blood they collect collected from the grandfather into the stone yeah so they i believe is what happened right so they uh, they use the uh that that allows them to get a partial activation of the stone which uh pushes the grandfather out of stop time yeah and it's like it's like finally something interesting happened with the plot, <laughs> at least with the overarching plot. Uh, there is some sort of complication uh, because at least for the past five episodes or so, uh, it very much felt like it was kind of spinning its wheels. Um, 
and most of the characters in Kokoku are just not interesting enough to carry the show on their own, outside of like three of them. Um, so yeah, I greatly appreciate what happened in uh, episodes seven and eight, seven and eight. Um, well, I have a much more positive, uh, a much more positive uh, impression of the uh, earlier episodes, but I really like the way these episodes escalated things. Uh, you know, if you're looking at like, you know, if you're looking, if you're thinking of like the season as kind of a three act structure, this feels like the end of the second act. Yeah, definitely. And I am totally game for that. Yeah, it. I think my main problem with Kokoku, like, thinking about it, is that I always feel it's about twice as long as it actually needs to be at any given moment. Um, and so while I don't dislike it, um, I also find myself getting intermittently bored with it. Um, e even though I, I do overall enjoy the show. Uh, it's it's sort of a weird feeling, but yeah, I think it's just because I, yeah, I find the whole thing to be, to take up, you know, sort of twice as much time as it actually needs to, to get where it needs to go. Uh, I disagree. I haven't had a, I haven't had a problem with the, uh, with the pacing uh, of the show. Uh, Aaron, have you still been keeping up with Kokoku, or are you... You sort of give it up on it. I've given up on it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't really have much else to say about Kokoku. Um, the things that happened in it were, you know, fairly uh, straightforward, um, even if they were pretty interesting developments. Uh, and honestly, Kokoku does not have interesting enough cinematography or visual visualizations going on for me to really start waxing about that like I do with say a place further in the universe or Violet Evergarden. Well the thing about Kokoku is like occasionally occasionally they're like their depictions of like of the environment of this like stop time is you know visually interesting. Um yeah. occasionally but it's inconsistent. Uh yeah. It's like, you know, it's like there's moments, there's moments when it looks really cool, but those are, that, but those only happen sometimes. Yeah. Um, also, occasionally they do, uh, do funny things with it, like, uh, one of my favorite moments from this episode, from these series of episodes actually, is where the kid is going to the bathroom uh, and then he tries to turn on the faucet, but of course, you know, there's no running water because time has stopped. So he just peed, but he can't wash his hands. So, uh, it, I don't know. I found that kind of funny just because it's like, oh, okay. They're, they're actually like making a joke about the time stop. Um, it was a little bit of humor that I appreciated and they, and they're, they weren't, they weren't super obvious about it. it like it was you know, somewhat subtle, uh, just like a visual gag. Um, but yeah, uh, 
occasionally it does, you know, use the time stop to comedic effect. Um, but yeah, I for the most part, though, the animation and the cinematography are a lot more, I'd say, workmanlike, where it does precisely what it needs to do to communicate what is happening on the screen and not a whole lot more. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll give this episode, I'll give you both these episodes fours, I suppose. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I agree with that. Alright, uh, so finally, let's get on to A Place Further Than the Universe, episodes 8 through 9. I love these episodes. This is still the best series of the season. Yeah. That's the thing, is that this, like, this show, like, through nine episodes has just been consistently great. Yeah, I don't think there's an episode I... In fact, there, there are a few episodes that have aired so far that I felt didn't deserve a five. Uh, <laughs> that's how good it is. Um, yeah, I, I I did really like episode eight. Um, though, I, whenever seasickness happens to people, um... I was like, I always, I guess, feel grateful because I have never gotten motion sick even once in my life. Oh, I got a place where I could send you that you'd be violently like, ill. Like, granted, I've never been out on, like, the open deep sea, so I don't know if that would make a difference, but... Um, yeah. I have, I, I, so. I, have a t I have a teaching aid that's called an unusual attitude chair. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Also, I have never been on like a crazy, uh, you know, jet flight before, so I'm not sure if that would do it either. But um, it's it seems unlikely that an Air Force pilot would ever take me on a uh, adventure in the land of multiple G's. So, like I said, I've got something. I, I got something that'll simulate it on the ground. <laughs> that way when that way when you when you when you have vertigo in the chair and you go to do something stupid you only fall a short distance and not out of the sky. I mean, I don't doubt that I would probably be like dizzy and like walking around like an idiot afterward, but I'm I'm pretty confident I probably wouldn't throw up. I yeah. don't know what to say because it's it's everybody everybody is this is one of those things where everybody's different. But getting back to the girls, yeah, uh, uh, the, food, the same is not food. true for any of them. Food. Yeah. When 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 the food thing came up and everybody turned green, I'm like, oh yeah, I've seen this scene before. Yeah, there is a shot in this episode where all of them like it's exercise time, but instead of exercising, they're just all lying on the deck yep. um like they are waiting for the ship dead. to stop moving uh, waiting for the ship to <laughs> yeah. stop moving it, that's what we're uh, waiting for is the ship to stop moving yeah and it, having been there and done that yeah it's uh that's a that's a recognizable feeling uh uh i also really like the moment where uh, I can't remember her name, but one of the uh, adults walks in to like to their room and is like, "Oh, I, you know, every everything looks like you're not ready." And they're like, "For what?" It's like, "Oh, you're not ready for the dreaded 
30 degrees or the 40 degrees or the 60 degrees and they're like what does that even mean uh, and then they go into big waves and they're like oh she meant like angle of the boat <laughs> yeah it's like oops uh, oops uh, yeah that uh yeah, those episodes, uh, those episodes were were well done, and on a scale of one to accurate, pretty accurate. Well, no, the 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 forty, fifty, sixty thing, I don't think was a uh, was angle, because at sixty degrees, that should capsize, shouldn't it? No, ninety degrees capsizes. Sixty degrees yeah. puts one rail yeah. real close to the water. Yeah, boats can boats can tip a lot further than you would think they could before they actually get in serious trouble. Um, yeah, or I should say, irreversible trouble. Well, you got to remember the way that, that that's an icebreaker. So icebreakers are are ballast a little stranger than most normal ships are. Also, so yeah, it's. Um, like I said, it was uh, it was an interesting episode to watch. Yeah, I uh, I also really like the scene near the beginning where they're all getting lunch, uh, where we have another another instance of uh, what's her name, the the one the Antarctica obsessed one. Uh, that's Shirase. Yeah, where sh- we have another moment of Shirase realizing she forgot something important. <laughs> and very subtly trying to go and fix that. Yeah. So like, oh yeah, who was supposed to take care of the laundry? Like, I don't know, I think one of us was supposed to do it. I think we talked about this. The rock, paper, scissors, and, and then she's just sitting down. It's like, like, <laughs> whoops, uh, I guess it was my turn. <laughs> I also really like the scene in eight, where they manage to go outside and are watching the waves and whatnot. And I was just like, "Man, a wave better come up and hit them." And then it does. Yeah, it totally does. <laughs> well, and then the next morning when they're out on deck, and uh, the two of them run over to the rail, look out, and go, "Pingy, oh, oh, pingies, yeah." I guess you would be attracted to penguins. <laughs> and then we have like I think it's also episode nine where we have a subplot where uh what's that guy's name? I think he was the same guy who got roasted to- when, Toshio. when uh, she said yeah, Toshio. I think was he the same guy where Yeah, yeah they told were like, that the girls you know, were the, all underage. They're, they're not they're yeah. not legal, I'm looking at you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> where he goes, I'm in love. <laughs> the girls are like, wait, hold on. Well, and the funny thing is, is the person that he fell for was uh, probably the most unapproachable person on that ship. Yeah. Which, okay, I've seen people do that nonsense before, too. Sometimes you get away with it, and sometimes you don't. Also, as a whole, I really like the idea of icebreakers. Mainly because it's just, okay, we've hit something. What do we do? Back up and hit it again. That's right. Yes. Yeah. That's how it's, it works. 
It's, yeah, it's it's not elegant, but it works. <laughs> yeah. I, the words pretty and icebreaker, no. It's like, what if we just used the whole weight of the ship to break the ice? Yeah, well, it's it basically, let's slide up on it, and well, what if it doesn't break this first time? We just keep going at it until it gives up. There has been in the history of icebreakers the, in older times when the metals weren't as good as they are today that uh, sometimes you do that and all of a sudden you kind of had a Titanic moment where the ice won. But <laughs> that, that hasn't happened in quite a few uh, decades. But that is also always a possibility playing around with ice that uh, uh, Mother Nature decides, well, you know what? Uh, uh, steel, yeah, steel's from the planet, and ice is from the planet, and rock, paper, scissors, uh, guess what's harder? <laughs> Oops. <laughs> uh, I also really like the portion in episode 9 where uh, the team captain has a flashback to Shirase's mom. Mm -hmm. and sort of like what she was like uh, on the trip. Um, <clears throat> and the the sort of like portion where after going out searching for her like she gets a sort of final transmission where uh, Shirase's mother just talks about how like pretty the this Antarctica is yep and how her view is yeah, it's a nice place to die see that's the thing where you know kind of on the lines I was hoping that it wouldn't do the Maiden Abyss thing so I think she figures that her mom's dead but I think that somewhere along the line she would also like to run across the body yeah I mean, I mean there's, there's no way I mean with the, with the temperature of Antarctica it's not wholly unbelievable that the body would be preserved in some fashion it probably wouldn't look too great uh, no but it's not it's not un, it wouldn't be crazy that it and, to you know, find it, and, and I don't intact. think penguins are in the humans, so there's there's that thing that you don't have to worry about. Maybe, maybe, Grant, you, maybe they you, can be maybe she can be raised by by penguins. Oh god, yeah. See, if if she actually turned out to still be alive, that would be where I'd be like, oh come on, really? <laughs> yeah, the pinkies dragged me into their cave, and I've been alarm all this time. Thank God you guys finally showed up. I was running out of pinkies to eat. Poof. Yeah. It's been three years, I think. Yeah. 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 Like I said, I was running out of pangies to eat. All <laughs> right. I can't believe that I actually said that, but I did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, ben, uh, ben made me do it. Uh, also, there was yeah. a really good. Also, the moment at near the end of the episode where they all jump onto Antarctica and Shirase just like screams in your face <laughs> at the top of her lungs yeah, oh, yeah it, it, if her classmates had been there yeah that she would have she, that, that would have been even of course what would be more enjoyable is if uh somebody had a camera running while she was doing all that and it ends up getting transmitted back to the uh everybody's like oh yeah i guess she made it didn't she Sure did. Ben, which one is she or she? The one with the uh, black Shirase hair. Shirase is the one with the long black hair, the tallest one. Uh, the one that's uh, uh, sounds the one a lot... whose mother died. Yeah. The the one who sounds a lot like Kana Hanazawa when she's hollering. Oh, that could be a possibility that's... too. 
Oh, okay. No, no, no. I mean, Yuzuki Shirashi. Yeah. Uh. That's the uh, uh the actor, isn't it? You uh, no. Uh, okay, so uh okay, sh- Yuzuki. Yeah, Yuzuki is the actress. Uh, oh, Shirashi. Yeah, but uh, Shirase. Shirase is the uh, Antarctica obsessive. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, because like yeah, I was looking at the the scene from the end, and uh, it's from the actress's mother. Yeah. Uh, so, so I I will definitely give both of these episodes fives. Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah, there's uh, no doubt in my mind. And uh, just to let you people know, no pengies were hurt in the recording of this episode. But they're delicious. <laughs> All I right. still want the show to end with them being stuck in a cave deciding who gets to eat who. Oh, gosh. <laughs> that is all I want for this show. Aaron, you're terrible. <laughs> oh, by the way, fives. Right. Give them both yeah. fives. I, I, I don't know if I said that or not, but yeah, I... I wanted to make sure they well, got bumped. Well, I mean, the, the opening animation does foreshadow it with, uh, with at the end where uh, uh, Mari um, just uh, swallows the other three whole. Yeah. yeah. Yes. <laughs> all yes. right. All right. You cannibals. Do it. Cannibals. <laughs> Bunch of cannibals. Which, uh, a shot I decided to use for my album art for episode 355. Yes, you did. Uh, uh, anyway, that was only slightly surprising to see that album mark, but that's okay. Uh, no listener questions. Uh, anything else you got on your mind? Uh, n- not, not really. Um, oh so, yeah. Uh, gosh, I can't remember if, oh yeah, there's a Chihaya Furu season three. Yes, there will be. That's going to happen in, in 2019. We've got to wait for a while. Yeah. But we are getting... Yes. This will be... Uh, this will be... Uh, I'm trying to remember. I think this is where uh, there will be quite a bit of romance in this uh, season of Shihara uh, Furu. trying to remember what all I read. Dustin, how far did you get with uh, Darling? Uh, I got to episode five. Oh, okay. Um, That's kind of it, amusing because episode six is pretty good. Yeah, it's uh, so far my feelings on Darling in the Franks is that it's not as bad as I feared it would be, uh, but it's still like not particularly great. Um, picky, picky. So yeah, I like Franks because there's tons of stuff to speculate about. <laughs> I mean, yeah. If if you're into that, that like that's definitely like good. But also like even then, like I have some issue, uh, like a lot of issues with how the world building is is used because it feels like they pick and choose on occasion. Like for example, episode I think two or maybe three, where um, Ichigo is trying to. Um, uh, is trying to pilot with uh, the male lead whose name I can't remember at the moment. Hero. Uh, 
hero and of course <laughs> and <laughs> uh and he's like oh well maybe maybe we can try kissing and she's like what's kissing um but then later i think in episode five they're like oh yeah and now the the two uh two like settlements will kiss and they use that to like describe docking so it's like okay this word exists and is like a known concept well later in uh, i can't remember if episode six or seven and like they go dis- over that they they again ask what is kissing and it's like oh it's when they dock with the other one and, so no yeah. they haven't heard of that before and it's like yeah i don't know it it also just feels like for kids who sort of were brought up to be largely ignorant of sort of like romance and intimacy they sure do still have a lot of ingrained perceptions and embarrassments surrounding intimacy that don't make a whole lot of sense to me it's like okay they want to have kids who don't know what these concepts are but still act like they do know the significance of those concepts are are thus embarrassed when they come up i Uh, mean but that's uh, i don't want to say instinct but effectively close enough that that's part of hormones and how your body reacts to things. I mean, but it can certainly be influenced by how you're raised, but it's still going to happen. I mean, it's well, but so the thing is not every culture has those uh ingrained um attitudes toward sex and intimacy. Like some cultures approach them differently based on what the uh sort of ingrained cultural norms are so what i'm saying is they clearly seem to exhibit the cultural norms regarding intimacy that we are used to seeing yet everything about how they are raised does not seem to enforce those enforce or train those same cultural norms so ultimately my point is that as as much as I want to like, or at the very least be interested in the concepts that Darling and the Franks is exploring, they the show doesn't seem to really be willing to commit or really think a whole lot about or interrogate the what the world would look like, uh, would would like actually look like with that sort of yeah the, if the, with those ideas implemented yeah the world building isn't really uh isn't really about isn't really about science fictional extrapolation it's more about uh it's more about having like it's more about a, a pl- giving a giving a platform to exploring the themes of the show yeah. and it which is another thing so, like, one of the themes of the show is sort of very much based around, like, the mechs especially are very much based around the traditional heterosexual roles um, for romantic couples. And I thought sort of what the trick would be uh, for as to why Hero was able to pilot a mech, you know, he initially thinks it's the kiss, but... I figured, like, okay, if they're going to really, like, make a show about uh, sort of these uh, heterosexual relationships and, you know, stereotypical gender roles, I figured, like, okay, 
maybe the actual trick is that um, because he was unconscious and and like or just doesn't remember what happened in Straitsia, the reveal is going to be that he was in the motorcycle position. But then that doesn't end up being what's happening, and I, I know maybe they're going with something else. Uh, it, for, you know, it, it why he's actually doesn't make any sense because he didn't have the the equipment, the uniform for it. I mean, neither did she, though. Really? Yeah, yeah. She has her uniform yeah. on with the thing. Oh, I don't know. I I still feel like that's a missed opportunity, and uh, maybe they're going with something different, but. The whole series. I mean, it would rewrite the entire premise of the uh, the pistol and stamen. I okay, but also, again, it seemed like the first uh, the first couple episodes were leading up to the idea that the traditional idea of what a pistol and stamen are supposed to be does not necessarily apply to everyone. Like, again, the the show is very much dealing in stereotypical gender roles. So when you're saying to me, okay, well, yes, that it's, it's meant to be a metaphor. And then I start to think of ways that the metaphor could be applied in interesting fashions and then express disappointment when that doesn't happen. I feel like that's a valid complaint. <laughs> like, I don't know, maybe they're trying to do something different, but the the things that they could be doing with the themes of this show uh i feel they are not doing anything particularly exciting or you know very like it all feels very shallow compared to other trigger shows that have been about something i mean but well first of all you're only five episodes in so did other trigger shows get like that in five episodes yeah, uh, like kill a kill, uh, kill a kill, kill a kill, Gurren Lagan and Little Witch Academy, like all three of those, which also happen to be some of the best trigger shows. So, <laughs> well, Gurren Lagan was a was a Gainax show, but, 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 but I mean, uh, it, it's basically a trigger show. Come on, uh, also Evangelion. Yeah, you know, so I'm not saying anything. I, I don't know. I find this show far more entertaining than you do, I guess. Yeah, I'd... I, yeah, I just find it endlessly disappointing. Like, it's not bad, necessarily, but I really want to care about it, and I just can't. Like, uh, it doesn't help that I really only like two characters. Like, Zero Two and Goro, and that's it. Everybody else I can really take or leave. Hmm. We really need to review uh, Simone so you can get your fix <laughs> of non-heterosexual couples. Yeah, I guess so, because it doesn't seem like this show, you know, actually cares about doing anything about that. It's just like straights only. Yeah, um, I think I Japan. <laughs> well, yeah, I think the uh, yeah, I think the show is missing is missing an opportunity here. Yeah. Well, and then, uh, yeah, the end of episode six brings up the little kid at the end who I'm assuming is part of the nines. 
and he's referring to at the end uh, nine ten or nine iota, and iota can stand for ten, which would make it nine ten. Hero's number is zero sixteen, so flipped around it can be nine ten. See, that's what I like the show for. Yeah. There's cool crap like that. That's like, wait a minute. Yeah. Are they? It, it's a lot of speculation yeah. stuff. I mean, that's they're, they're that's neat and all, but what does it matter really? Mm. Like, what what is it actually in service of? That and that's where it breaks down for me. Because, like, okay, yeah, conceptually, it's neat, but it doesn't actually do anything. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's all setting up for stuff. Okay, yeah. like if if it's setting up for like some. Uh, I guess plot background twist. I guess that could be cool, but what matters to me is like, what does it say about, you know, like, what does it serve for the story and the main thrust of the series? Aaron, I like, sent you a link. What does it tell me about what this show is trying to tell me? Yeah. But yeah. Anyway. Um, <laughs> so those that's that is my darling and in the Franks quote unquote we've, rant. We've wandered Even off again. I didn't really get that mad. Uh, yeah, so that'll be it for this episode. Um, because Ben needs to leave now. Uh, eh. uh, well, we've pretty much covered the shows that we're covering anyway. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. Also, we're actually, shows to talk. So about. our yeah. timing is uh, our timing is spot on. <laughs> Yeah, the only other thing that I was going to mention that I kept forgetting about was that uh, a while ago, like I think a couple months ago, it was revealed that the uh, creator of MMO Junkie uh, is possibly a neo-Nazi sympathizer and Holocaust denier, so that's uh, unfortunate. (laughs) Actually, uh, yeah, uh, Mother's Basement had a really good uh, YouTube video about that. Yeah. yeah, so that's that's sad. Uh, yeah. But anyway. Yeah. Let's see. Just j- just considering like how how much we talked about liking it um, during the season, I felt it was only appropriate that I at least mention you know that little thing there. Uh, but yeah. Anyway, just another instance of you know sort of make a personal decision about you know what you are o- what you're okay with sort of watching and how how far you are willing to take death of the author and that whole thing anyway um that'll be it for this episode of baka cast uh i Cards and letters. forgot where i was going to go with this outro you can send us comments or questions uh at uh at our on our blogs either www.projecthari.net or at audioentropy.com uh, you can also send us emails at bakacast at projecthari.net. And you can also message me on Twitter at stillsthegm. And you can message Ben at deathslinky. Yeah. Sorry. And you can message me with a 49 cent stamp. <laughs> if you can somehow find Larry's address. It, it, there's an easy way to find it, but I'm not telling you how. Yeah, no. You got to figure it out for yourself if you're mm-hmm. so dedicated. Uh, anyway, Ben. Dustin. Three, two, one. Kiddabosh. There is a robin sitting on the windowsill looking at me, waving a worm. Have a nice day. <laughs> <laughs>